Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Morning, church family. How are we doing? Microphone on and working? I didn't mute it, did I? Have you ever thought to yourself, uh, maybe recently you've thought this, or maybe you've said it, can't we all just get along? (laughs) Easier said than done, isn't it? Especially these days. Uh, This morning we're going to be talking about some more of the one another's in our Get Together series. One another, alelone, and it doesn't mean all alone. It's not good that man should be all alone. We shouldn't seek isolation. We should seek community. It's one of our core values. And one another is from three Greek subwords, alos, meaning another of the same kind, meta, meaning doing life together, and pros, which means we come together, we grow together, we grow in relationship as we do life together. But we're all different, aren't we? We've got lots of similarities, but we're all different. And sometimes there can be a clash. Sometimes there can be a a sour note in the symphony. And maybe there are times where we don't all get along. So the first one another we're going to look at today just briefly is to love one another. It's like 15 or 16 times through the New Testament, those exact words, love one another. Now, instead of digging into this one another, I just want to say that we have been digging into what it means to love one another, and we will continue to dig into what it means to love one another for another month, up until March 27th, because all of these one another's find themselves under the overarching umbrella and banner of love. To confess our sins to one another is to love one another, to instruct one another, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to bear with one another. These are all aspects of loving one another. Look at John chapter 13 with me. I love how it starts out, a new commandment. Is this really a new commandment? Jesus is referencing the law. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Why does he even have to say, look, this is a new commandment, I need to tell you. Can't people just figure this out? Shouldn't it just be natural that we need to understand that we, we need to love one another? That's the only way we can function as a society. But Jesus has to point it out because of the law, because of people seeking to get even, seeking to get their own justice and vengeance. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Twice in the same verse. I like that. We get to love because he first loved us. The love that we show comes from God. He's the source of love. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. They won't necessarily know that you're a disciple of Jesus because of how you speak or how you drive on the road, or how you wait in line at the grocery store, or maybe your social media bio, or maybe your political preference, or maybe the sign that hangs by your front door at your house, they will know we are Christians by our love. 
Now, in the Greek language, there are four different kinds of love. There is the love between friends. There is the romantic love between a couple. There is brotherly love, Philadelphia. And then there is agape love, which is being referenced here by Jesus in John 13. Agape love is self-sacrificing love. People will know that we are Christians because we love sacrificially. We love in such a way that is given from us. We are giving something when we love the people around us and when we love one another. That's how the world will know that you're a follower of Jesus. Not necessarily your cross necklace, not necessarily your WWJD bracelet, not necessarily the fish stuck on the bumper of your car. People will know that we are Christians because we love one another as Jesus first loved us. That's how people will know. Now, how does love express itself? What does this look like? Well, let's jump to our second one another. And it's living in harmony with one another. When we love one another, we live in harmony with one another. Look at this verse. It ties the two of them together. Sean read this for us last week in our online service. Colossians 3.14. And above all these, do you remember the statement I just made? The banner over these is love, the umbrella of love under which all the other one another's gather. Above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Perfect harmony. Love is like the zip tie that just sucks everything together in perfect harmony. I love the way the Amplified Bible puts it. Beyond all these things, put on and wrap yourselves in unselfish love which is the perfect bond of unity. For everything is bound together in agreement when each one seeks the best for others. We've talked about this multiple times, putting others before ourselves, honoring others, being the first to be last, being the first to put others first. We know this. This, this is basic Christian ethics, right? The golden rule. We all know the golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Love others the way that you want to be loved. You want to have good friends? Well, you need to be a good friend to your friends. The golden rule. Let's look at Psalm 133 and verse 1. Behold, how good... And how pleasant it is, how pleasing it is when brothers live in harmony. Isn't that such a, a good thing? When you see people working it out, when you see people coming together, brothers and sisters in Christ. When you see churches dwelling in harmony, that's good, it's pleasing. I can't tell you how timely this topic is for today. In a time of polarizing arguments, divisions, protests, petitions, it seems like there's never been more for us to be divided over, at least in my lifetime. This verse is not necessarily what comes to mind when I glance through my Facebook feed. When I actually read some of the comments on maybe a very polarizing post, this isn't what I think of, good and pleasing, brothers dwelling in unity and harmony. 
It's not what I think about when I turn on the news. It's not necessarily the first thing that comes to my mind when I meet with other pastors on a Zoom call and they tell me the state of their churches in Atlantic Canada. That brothers would live in harmony. What should break our hearts most is when the church, the hands and feet of Jesus, the body of Christ, the children of God, when Christians can't get along. That should break our heart most. When people in the church fight with one another. When we refuse to speak to one another because we disagree on the whole pandemic, restrictions, vaccine conversation. That should not be the case. How does that communicate the gospel to our surrounding communities? Why would people want to get to know our church if one of the first things they see is division, fighting, arguing, bitterness? That's not what I see. Praise God, that's not what I see in our church, and I pray that's not what the community sees. But if all of our conversations out there about how we disagree with this, or we can't stand that, or we've got to fight against this, then why would anyone want to join us in here? Uh, Kerry Newhoff, he's a blogger, podcaster, author, speaker. He was a pastor at uh, Connexus Church up in Ontario. We actually got to hear him speak there a few years back, conference in Moncton. He uses this example of when you're invited over to a dinner party, somebody's house, maybe you know them well, maybe you don't know them well. You walk in, you brought your dessert, you sit down, the meal's lovely. Then the husband turns to the wife and says, why is, why is your roast always dry? And the wife turns back to the husband and says, well, you know, if you don't like it, you can make it yourself next time. And then this goes back and forth. And you're sitting there as the guest like, we don't need to be here. We don't need to be a part of this conversation. Oh, you know what? Oh, look at that. It turns out there's an emergency. We've got to go. Would you be as inclined to go back the next time they invited you to a meal? Yikes, remember last time? They were so catty at one another across the table and we were just sitting in the middle. It was as if we weren't even there. Why would somebody want to join a church family that's catty with one another, arguing with one another? Hey, come on in. We would love to have you come. We, we, we have a message that's for you, but while we're here, we're just going to fight and argue with one another. That's not appealing. That's not hospitable. Certainly not good and, and pleasing. And I pray that's, that's never the case of Faith Baptist Church. Did you know in John 17, the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he's in the garden and he's praying his high priestly prayer, it's called. Do you know what he prayed for? He prayed for you and he prayed for me. He said, I pray for those who will come after based on the word and the teaching of his disciples, his apostles. And this morning, we're going to be reading from the book of Romans. We're going to be reading Colossians, Corinthians. We are reading the words of the apostles, and we have come to faith in Jesus Christ through the teaching of the apostles. Jesus is praying for you, and he's praying for me. And you know what he prays for? That they would be one as I and my Father are one, that they would be perfectly one. And through their unity, as I and my Father are one, so they would be one, the world would know that they are my disciples, my followers, my church, the body and bride of Christ. That they would be one. So let's talk about what living in harmony looks like. Let's get really practical. 
When you do a little search on your Bible study tool, I would highly recommend BibleHub.com. Um, when we send out the reading and newsletter, if you click the link, it takes you to BibleHub.com. That's what I love to use to study. And you can just type in there the word harmony, and it brings up every passage that contains the word harmony, no matter what version uses that term harmony compared to unity and love. And So I looked up harmony multiple times and did some study. It looks like it's broken down into four Greek words, not to mention some Hebrew words in the Old Testament. But here's what it breaks down into. Living in harmony means living with the same truth, living with the same passion, living with the same mind, and living with the same voice. So that's what we're going to dig into today. So we're going to look at the first one, the same truth. And we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6, if you want to turn there. I apologize, we're going to be jumping around the New Testament, but we're going to be in Hebrews 6 right here, right now. Verses 1 to 2. Chapter 5 of Hebrews was all about the milk and meat conversation. Like he's talking to these believers who should be mature in their faith by now. He says you've been saved for a number of years, but you're still drinking the milk that's meant for infants, that's meant for new believers. You're still on the basic elementary teachings and you need to graduate to the meat. You need to start taking a steak in your diet every once in a while. Amen? Steak? I cooked some pork chops on the barbecue yesterday, barbecue sauce, they caught on fire a little bit. I, it just felt like spring. Spring's coming. Are you feeling good today? I don't believe it. Um, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Some other versions say harmony, unity, perfection. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, I had to dig into this one a little bit. On surface level, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me until you read chapter 5 and you see some of the surrounding context. They should have been understanding more about the gospel at this point, but they were still on the elementary principles, the basics of what it means to be a Christian. And there was some argument there. And the writer of Hebrews says, you need to go on to maturity, harmony. It's the same as Colossians 3.14 that we just read. It's the Greek term teletoios, teloitis. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, completion in its cumulative sense. It's like putting a puzzle together. Okay, you've got all the corners and the outside edge. Now it's time to fill in the more complicated pieces. Cumulative sense. It's built on what has to proceed, and it also supports the stage that must come next. So when you learn the doctrines of Scripture, and you're understanding those elementary principles, then you can go from there and build on top of those elementary principles. We'll talk about some of them. Teletoios suggests the combination of truths and potentially the stages of spiritual growth. If you've been a Christian for a number of years, you should know more about the Bible. You should be more in-depth in the understanding of theology than you were when you first came to Christ. In order to be saved, you don't need to know everything about the Bible. You don't need to know every piece of theology and be able to spout off and explain the Trinity or some of the deeper doctrines of Scripture. You just need to know some basic principles. 
Therefore is written there at the start. It's referring to the end of Hebrews 5. We talked about that milk and meat conversation. And the writer is saying, stop arguing about the elementary doctrines and go on to maturity. Stop arguing about secondary issues and keep the mission at hand. He says, salvation is through faith. We can all agree on that, can't we? It's not of works so that no man could boast. It's by grace through faith in the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ, his resurrection. We need to repent of our sins and we need to embrace God. We can all agree on that. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. We don't need to argue about ceremonial cleansings. We understand that we're washed in the blood of Jesus. We don't need to offer goats and rams. It was a once-for-all sacrifice. We don't need to argue about a heaven and a hell. We can agree that there is an eternity. There is the reality of life after death, and we get to experience the kingdom of God here and now through the blood of Jesus Christ. We can all agree on that. We don't need to argue about who's the judge or whether or not we're, in fact, accountable to God. We can all agree on that. These are all elementary, basic principles of Christianity. To understand that I'm a sinner in the hands of a mighty God who's just and righteous, but because of his mercy he gave Jesus, and through faith in Jesus Christ and his resurrection, his victory over death, I can have forgiveness of sins and new life in Jesus Christ. Amen? We can all agree on those things. And what Paul's saying is, look, once you accept those things, you can forget about them and move on. No, he's saying you, need, you then need to build on them. You need to understand more. You need to have a desire to dig deeper. And that wasn't the case for these Hebrew believers. And the writer is, is getting after them. How can you be united to someone who's living their lives opposed to the truth of the gospel? If someone does not believe they're accountable to God, a sinner in need of a savior, maybe they don't believe in an eternity with or without God, how can you be united to that person? How can you share a common bond? How can you share a, a common outlook, a worldview? You'd really have to compromise your core beliefs to be in harmony together with that person. Harmony starts with having the same truth. Not arguing about petty little elementary things, but understanding the basics of the gospel, uniting in the cross of Christ, and going on and building from there. It starts with truth. And then it moves to passion. Let's look at Romans chapter 15. Having the same passion. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another one accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's lots of unifying, harmonious terms in there, isn't there? Such harmony with one another, accord with Jesus Christ. Did you know Jesus was a Honda guy? He's in an accord. Was that bad? But sometimes if the joke is so bad, it's just... You know, it bounces back into the good side, doesn't it? <laughs> With one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This term harmony, it means the same mind. Autophroneo. Same inner perspective. And it can also be translated as accord. 
It means to be knit together, exactly fit, to be in good working order. The same phrase is used in 1 Corinthians 1.10, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, the same judgment. Together, with one accord, it's homo thymedon, from homo meaning same and thymos meaning passion. The same passion, properly having the same desire. A shared desire. That term passion, when you dig further into the Greek, it's the Greek term thymos. It means heavy breathing, heating up, actions emerging from strong emotion. It's like anger against sin. Thymos is the Greek word for the storm, the tempest, the strong winds. You can see how passion could be a dangerous thing, can't you? if you let it get out of control, if it's not based in truth, if it's just a strong emotional impulse that you act on, passion. The reason the Roman believers have the same passion is because they have the same truth. If you don't start with truth and you jump straight to passion, you get off on the wrong track really quick. It becomes very dangerous. They were together in passion because they were together in truth. The previous verse in Romans 15.4, we looked at it just the other week. Tracy read it. The things written of old were written for our instruction. It starts with truth and instruction and translates into passion. We talked about instructing one another. The truth we live our lives by becomes the passion that we live for. What are you passionate for these days? What's worth fighting for? What gets you breathing heavy? What just feels like a storm in your heart that you want to take the lid off and act out on? What is it that just feels like a whirlwind? You get worked up. Do you get worked up about the truth of the gospel? Or do you get more passionate about a political debate? Honestly, how many of us have just had to do something when it came to how much we love Jesus and what he's done for us? We just had to let it out. We just had to tell somebody. We just had to shout. We just had to sing. We just had to cry. Passion. Or have we had more passionate impulses when it comes to arguing with somebody about scientific research that we knew very little about just two years ago? I have to confess, I'm at fault here. There are some conversations these days that stir up a whirlwind in my heart. I just want to let the lid off and let loose. The early church was united in their strong, emotional, inner desire, passion for truth. They were together in passion. Acts chapter 1. I didn't write these down. Let me read them for you. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. All these with one accord, this is a reference to the early church, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together. That means the same passion. Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, not just in the same physical space, but in the same passion based on their truth. Acts 2.46, day by day attending the temple together with the same passion, breaking bread in their homes. There's this sense of consistency in their passion. It's not just this intermittent, spontaneous outburst of emotional, uncontrollable whirlwind rage in our hearts. 
This is a consistent passion that we exercise together with the same passion. Who does your passion tie you to? You ever meet somebody and uh, you're just getting to know each other? You talk about work, you talk about family, you talk about hobbies. Wait, you like to do that thing too? I like to do that thing too. And then the conversation just goes from there. You ever been in one of those conversations? Your passions unite you, your hobbies, your interests unite you. What does your passion unite you to? Who does it connect you to? So, same truth. Same passion. Number three, the same mind. There's a tendency when we talk about living in harmony and living at peace that we all need to be unanimous. We all need to be uniform. We all need to look the same. We all need to talk the same. We all need to think the same. But that's not necessarily the fact. We're not robot people. We're allos. We're another of the same kind. We're different, but yet we're very similar. But we sure are unique, each one of us individually. Romans 12, 14 to 18. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Have you cursed anybody this week under your breath, behind your back, behind their back? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Look at this. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, because you can only control your own actions and reactions, you can't control what the other person does, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The shoes of peace. Harmony. Live in harmony with one another. It means autophroneo, the same mind. Live with the same mind with one another. When you dig into that term phroneo, mind, friend, it literally means your midriff, which is kind of funny, which I struggle with because I don't know if you noticed, but like I'm all upper body and I have short legs. We, we can demonstrate later. I'll stand beside you and my belt will probably be at your belt line. But like, I have a long torso, so I have to buy longer shirts so my midriff doesn't hang out. But anyway, we're talking about midriff. It's, it's your inner being, your inner perspective. And when you're talking about the mind, it's not just your mind, but it's your mind, will, intellect, and emotions. Okay, it's, it's all one, who you are on the inside. It's not just your mind, it's also your visceral organs. You remember that Greek term splagna? When Jesus saw the boy who was dead being carried on the table in the funeral and his mom's crying, he was filled with compassion. Splagna, he felt it in his guts. You ever feel something with your guts? When we talk about our mind, we're not just talking about our intellect. We're not just talking about academia. We're not just talking about knowledge. We're talking about our mind and we're talking about our visceral organs. In Hebrew culture, they linked up your seat of emotions with your bowels, who you really were on the inside. So we say, I love you with all my heart. They would say maybe, I love you with all my bowels. <laughs> but having the same mind, it's not, it's not just what you know, it's how you feel about 
what you know. Have you been in a conversation recently? Maybe a very polarized conversation, I'm sure. We all have those almost on a daily basis, it seems. And you've already made up your mind based on how you feel. You've been in one of those conversations? Yeah, but research shows, well, I already feel this way about it, so I'm going to click off this part of the conversation. You've been there? I feel so strongly about this that I'm just going to blindly disregard the conversation. I've been, in that, I've been on both sides of that situation. I feel so strongly about this that I'm not going to take into account what the other person's saying. The same mind. But Paul says to the Roman church, in Rome, in persecution, the government breathing down their neck, taking them to jail, torturing them, expelling them from the city, burning them on stakes in Nero's garden, Paul says to those people in that politically heated context, he says, bless them. That's tough. Pay no one evil for evil. That's tough. And then he says, be at peace. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. And then when it comes to one another, live in harmony with one another. Be of the same mind. Your perspective, your opinions, they shouldn't be this robotic information regurgitation. Here's what I heard. But on the other hand, you should be acting, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be acting in blind emotion. The same mind. See, it's, it's not just what we think. It's not just what we think we know. It's so much so how we feel about what we know. Your perspective, your worldview, the values that you view everything through, your lenses, your mind. Not just what you know, but how you, how you feel about what you know. And then the same voice. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 as we come to a conclusion here. Verse 14. I've heard this verse used in so many different ways to refer to uh, business agreements, marriage relationships. It's kind of been all over the place. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, you know what that yoke is, right? You get a yoke of oxen, a couple horses. You put this big wooden beam across their neck. It has this, I don't know any of the terminology, this lasso thing that comes under their bridle. It holds them together so they can work together. They can function united in unison. They can both be pulling the same direction. That's what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 11, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. Do you feel that way? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Do you know why the burden is light? It's not because the burden is light. It's because he is carrying the burden for you. He did all the work. When you're partnered up with Jesus and you're carrying the same yoke, your feet aren't even touching the ground. He's doing all the carrying. He bore all the sins of the world in his body on the cross. That's what it means to be yoked up with Christ, going to work with Christ. He does all the work. We're united with him. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For the same reason that we've talked about, if you don't have a baseline understanding of the principles of the gospel to live your life by, then how can you live in harmony and in step and in unity with somebody who don't, doesn't have those things? 
For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord or harmony has Christ with Belial, with the devil? Does Jesus have any harmony with the devil? No, they're, they're polar opposites. They're trying to accomplish two separate things in the earth. What portion does a believer have with an unbeliever? Now, we've talked about the old life. We've talked about the new life. We've talked about not judging people in the world and leaving that to God because how can we hold them to a Christian standard if they don't have Christian values? That just makes sense. This verse is used in reference business relationships, marriage relationships, partnerships, fellowship, accord, share. But there's this picture of the yoke, being united, working together. That term harmony or accord, it's the Greek term symphoneo. Sin means same and phoneo means, I think I got one here, phone, to call, to talk. So it means you have the same talk, the same speech. And it's where we get our English word symphony from. Isn't that cool? When voices and instruments are in harmony, when they're in unison, symphony, symphoneo, uh, we have some dear friends in New Brunswick. Uh, they're the Ray family. Do you have one of those families that maybe when you were newly married, they were a little further along than you in the game. They took you under their wing. They were like your family away from family. That's the Ray family for us. And they are musically gifted, the whole lot of them, which bugs me to no end. It just comes naturally to them. And their three daughters have the most beautiful harmony I've ever heard. It's just like this this family bond that just comes naturally to them. So we're over for supper one summer evening. We're sitting out back. The birds are chirping. We're sitting under the umbrella. Sunshine, doesn't that sound nice? And we're having supper, and after supper, they say, let's play a game. And the Ray family games are weird. I don't know where they come up with them, but just unique. And they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to count to three, and we're all going to sing whatever song comes to our mind at the same time. So I think we should do it. You ready? April, was that a, yeah, I'm ready. So I'm going to count to three. And we're just going to start out loud singing the first song that comes to our mind. This isn't a magic trick. We're not all going to sing the same song. I don't know how to make people do that. But if you're at home participating right now, get all your family ready. Because on the count of three, we're going to sing a song. Whatever song comes to mind, you're just going to belt it out, okay? And I need you to belt it out. Because I'm going to belt it out. And I don't want to be the only one in here belting it out. We've got like, I don't know, 60, 70 people. Let's, let's belt it out. Are you ready? On the count of three, I'm going to say one, two, three, and then we're just going to sing it out. Are you ready? You're going to do it. Don't leave me hanging. Ready? One, two, three. Blessed be your name in the land. <laughs> wow. Nice work. Nice work. I don't know how that went for you at home, but uh, it went pretty good here in the room, I think. I heard some volume. I, I didn't just hear myself. Um, when, when we played that game with the Ray family, we played it a couple times, and one of the times, Elsie was the only one to sing. Nobody else sang, and she just belted it right out. It was awesome. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. It's, it's pretty hard to be in unison when you're not singing the same song, is it? It's, not, it's nice to hear your voices. But when we're not all singing the same song, it's really hard to be on the same tempo. It's really hard to be in the same key. It's really hard to be singing the same lyrics. It's really hard to be doing anything together. I don't know if anybody in the room say, sang the same song when we did that little game. 
but um, it's really hard to be in unison if, if you don't know the song. Harmony. Souter says it's a harmony of voices. Figuratively, it's to harmonize in the sense of agreement with. How can you agree with someone whose life is not in tune with the gospel? How can you harmonize with somebody who is out of step with their savior? There's this thing about music. It accesses both sides of the brain. You've got this organized, regimented, here's the timing, here's the scale, here's the key. You've got to follow this or you're going to be out of sync. But then there's like this flowing, artful, creative aspect that like our band can tap into, but it's only because they're all in the same song, in the same key, with the same tempo. Band, I think we should do it sometime. You should just get up here and just each do your own thing. We should have done that this morning. I asked them to hit a few sour notes just to kind of drive my point home. But here's the big point. If you don't start with truth, if you don't share the same passion, if you don't have the same mind, how can you have the same voice? How can we be sending the same message to the community if we're not united on the basic principles of what we choose to believe and are passionate about? If we're all going in different directions, you know what that sounds like? Have you ever had a bunch of toddlers playing passionately, screaming loud? It, it's a joyful sound, but there's no clear message to it. What song is your life singing? So it starts with agreeing on the foundation truths of the Bible. It translates into a passion for the gospel, the mission to be disciples making disciples, the message of Jesus. It's stirring in us. It also gives us the same mind, not just information, but how we feel and choose to believe that information. And then, with one united voice, We can glorify our God and Father, living in harmony with one another. Let's close there, and uh, let's finish out in prayer. Father God, I want to praise you today for who you are, for how you love, for how you're good. Thank you for the truth that you've given us that we can live our lives by. Thank you that we can be at peace with you through what Jesus Christ has done, that we can have harmony with our God and Father. God, thank you that you are not the orchestrator of confusion, but of order. God, thank you that you are singing a melody over us. Thank you that your banner over us is love. God, I pray that we would be a people who love one another, and that would exemplify itself in living in harmony with one another. And that doesn't mean that they tune to my voice or we all pick somebody in the church and tune to their voice. It means we're in tune with you. So God, I pray that you would be our, our tuning fork, our pitch pipe, the key, the song, the melody, the lyrics. Thank you that you are the word, you're the truth. God, I pray that the values that we live our life by, that the things that we get passionate about would be your truth, your mission, your gospel. God, thank you that we get to be your hands and feet. Help us to respond when you call and when you direct, Father. Thank you for who you are to us today, God. In Jesus' name, amen.